dun 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 Episode 7, Dane and Nick Podcast. The weather in Seattle is chilly, feels good. I am sure it's warm in Tucson. I may be a little jealous. I may be a little jealous there, Dane. I may be a little jealous. But either way, we got some work to do. I'm in the process of healing from some something that's been going around, so I'm still gonna come with some energy. Voice maybe a little, you know, screw screw screechy or something like that. But we're here, baby. Pack twelve. Dane and Nick. I think we're on episode seven already. Yeah, okay, I guess we are. Alright, let's get to it. So some notable games in the Pac-12, but the most notable result is actually going to have to do with the Iron Bowl and um, Alabama losing to Auburn gives Utah a real chance of making the college football playoff. Granted, they still need a loss from Georgia or Clemson in championship week, but the opportunity is still there, and that's very important for the conference after um, Oregon's falter the week before. And so jumping around the Pac-12 really quick, we had UW winning the Apple Cup uh, pretty handily. Notre Dame took care of Stanford also pretty handily, pretty easily. Oregon was in a pretty tight one with Oregon State. Not the result you'd um, kind of expect from the North champion, but they did find a way to beat their rival. Utah continues on their hot streak. They put the work in on Colorado. They went work, 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 working on... Yeah, they, they smacked Colorado. Um, Arizona State found a way to win an ugly one against their rival, leaning on their um, star halfback and O. Benjamin, the senior. And in a game that, why is he, seriously, why is he being played? Cal already played their rival. UCLA already played their rival. I don't even think I knew this game was on the schedule. I mean, they shouldn't be playing after the rivalry. I don't make it. Don't come after me in Pac-12. Anyway, Cal was able to handle um, UCLA. Uh, again, another kind of tight back-and-forth game. But with the return of the starting quarterback, Chase Garbers, they handled their business and took down Chip Kelly and the Bruins. So with that, we're going to jump into a little more detail on the games. Let's get to it, baby. Episode 7. Utes, you're our last chance. Dane, get us started off. Yeah, so I'll keep my intro short and sweet. Uh, Utah beat Colorado 45-15. to And from the 10,000 feet aerial view of the conference, it's the only game that mattered. Um, college football playoff committee was looking at that very closely. And the end result is what they wanted to see. And Utah helped itself in that um, regard. Alabama lost, so they're going to move up to number five in the playoff rankings, and you're going to be relying on LSU beating Georgia. If that happens, um, Utah is probably in, though as I said previously, they're going to need a nice margin of victory over Oregon. I was saying 17 points or more, but um, now that uh, Alabama lost, you could probably get it done by about 14 I certainly think a 10-point game is pushing it. Anything less than a 10-point game, you're probably not going to get in. So uh, the committee is looking for um, whatever reason they can to put two SEC teams in, and um, the rest of them are chomping at the bit to put Oklahoma in. So you're going to have to perform well in the championship game and win comfortably. And if you do that, you have a greater than, I would say, 50% chance of getting in. You need to take care of your business, though, and uh, come away with a nice win. Thank you, Dane, for your opening segment there. I just looked up the weather in Tucson. It is 71 degrees, man. Are you serious? It's like 30 at night. It's 71 degrees. Are you like, you having a drink just out there, like on the out in the desert, just having a great day in the city of Tucson, man? Man, you got the life down there in AZ. I, I might, to, I might, you're onto something. You're onto something. Okay, we're going to move on. The beautiful weather in Tucson and the chilly weather in Seattle. So the first game, look at this segue. May have been planned. I don't really think so, but maybe it's a natural alignment. We had WSU versus UW in Seattle in the Apple Cup. And so WSU came out of the gate hot, dominated, drove down the field, scored seven, um, really controlled the clock. And pretty much they were dominating this game throughout the first quarter. Um, There was a third and 13, I believe it was. And uh, UW quarterback Jacob Eason wildly overthrew um, his target on the play. There was a pass interference, which kept the UW drive going. And oddly enough, that one play shifted the entire momentum of the game. Uh, UW really kind of dominated from there. They took over. And uh, granted, it was a bad call, so um, no excuse. Um, I mean, it was it was a missed call. What do you want to say? I'm not going to attack the refs. No one's perfect, but they missed a call. It, it happens in sports. Um, but for WSU, you need to be able to 
respond and rebound because one missed call should not be the entire like deflation of your team. I mean, they fell apart after that. And um, yeah, UW pretty much cruised to victory. Um, Jacob Eason had a solid game. Um, their t- uh, quarterback, Jacob Eason for UW. Uh, this may be his last game as a Husky. He could be headed to the NFL. He has all the athletic abilities. And uh, it was good for him to close out his career on a high note, if this is his last game. He's been struggling the past couple of weeks. So good performance from the kid. Good job. Their tight end, Miles Bryant, also NFL caliber, had a solid game. Had like six catches for 88 yards or something. Their wideout, Terrell Bynum, was their big uh, play threat. Um, he had a couple big catches over the top to kind of break the game over, um, break the game open, add some, um, what are you trying to say? Basically give WCU's defense and secondary something to worry about over the top. And so all around, UW's defense um, did a great job after the opening. Uh, basically, like I said, WCU did have a great opening drive. Uh, quarterback Anthony Gordon was hitting just about everyone, making it look easy, but then UW's uh, line was dominating. They're rushing three down linemen and they're beating WSU's five offensive linemen. And when that's the case, it's going to be hard for any team to win. If, if five can't block three, you're in trouble. <laughs> doesn't really matter the level of football. And so kind of a brief touch-up on the programs. Again, so basically summarize, UW handled their business from there on out, won the game easily. The final score is like 31-13 or something along those lines. WSU may have added a late touchdown. So for both programs, UW's able to kind of finish up 7-5 and their regular season with a chance to now get to 8-5 and five in a bowl game and kind of right the ship after a down year. It wasn't what they were obviously looking for, but they were able to win the Apple Cup and keep things moving in the right direction, which I believe is just big for the program all around. I mean, if they finished 6-6, six and six, it would have been a huge, huge step back, and especially losing to their rivals. So good job by head coach Chris Peterson to get the win, keep the Huskies program in the right direction, and I'm sure brighter days will be coming. I mean, this program had a down year, but expect expect them to be back in the conference title mix next year. For WSU, um, I'm going to touch on something that, uh, you know, they finished 6-6. Six and six. They're in a bowl game. Their program's come a long way. Mike Leach has done a, f- a fantastic job at winning football games. But I'm going to touch on something a little bit deeper here. Um, the way he treats his players, reporters, pretty much everyone, um, I... I wouldn't have him represent my university. Um, he, he's quite frankly an embarrassment the way he attacks 18 and 22-year-old kids. He constantly throws his players under the bus. And when asked by a reporter this week after the game, they're like, so what's the difference between these two teams? Is it blah, blah, blah. Basically, why do you lose a game? Was, the, was the, basically what the question was asking. Maybe less or more words, different words. And uh, he basically said that UW is better recruits the reporter <laughs> came at him like, oh, so you can't beat teams with better recruits? And Mike Leach went after him, basically told him to go back to his meager life and called him a sanctimonious troll, I believe was the quote. I'm not sure what that means, but yeah. Um, for WSU, again, on the football side of things, 6-6, six and six, have a chance to win a bowl game. But I, as someone who coaches kids, I'm tired of him bowling reporters, kids, and then just acting like he's walking on water. Um, he shouldn't be treating people this way. I don't care if it's football and any other public employee, private employee, any other employee in any, in any other walk of life would be fired. For the WSU kids, way to go 6-6, six and six, way to play. I hope Mike Leach can treat people to respect, bottom line. That, that's all there is to this. This is a little bit bigger than football here. He needs to start treating people to respect. And for UW, and for UW way to keep their program on the right foot. Big win, and um, yeah, let's see what they got next year. They still have a bowl game this year, which me and Dane will, I'm sure, cover, but let's see what they got next year because they could easily become back in that conference title outside shot at college football playoff race. All right, so first game up, um, Washington versus Washington State in the Apple Cup. I really thought this game was going to be closer than it was. If you listen to the podcast last week, I actually thought Wazoo was going to win. Um, Washington had been playing pretty terrible recently, uh, and Washington State um, was somewhat, uh, at least they were playing better than Washington in the last few games. Um, and so I know that uh, the Huskies have pretty much dominated this rivalry for the past, what was it, six or seven years or something like that? They've won uh, they've won at least five in a row. It's probably six or seven now. And Mike Leach just um, can't figure out how to beat them. 
Uh, there's an interesting. There's a couple interesting things. One was Mike Leach's uh, comments after the game against uh, or with some reporter. I guess it was a Wazoo reporter, but there was also a tweet by one of the Washington players. Something along the lines of, if you run the same five plays over and over again, you expect it to work like you're crazy or something like that. And so that makes me think that the Chris Peterson in Washington knows how to defend the air raid. And I don't really know what plays they run in that air raid, but if it is the same plays over and over again and you know how to defend that properly then it makes sense why that player would tweet that because you're going to have to show a new wrinkle. If they figured you out, you know, for the last six years, you should probably switch things up. Um, and if you watch that game, you know, Wazoo does those crosses in the, like the five yard line or so from the line of scrimmage, five yards um, downfield and they cross and they also have like two uh, deep runners so two two wide receivers are running deep patterns, two are running crosses, and then you have a, a running back um, out of the flat as like a check down. And it looked like Washington was just playing zone mostly all game where they would drop their safeties back to cover those two um, deep wide receivers, and then the linebackers would just drop just behind um, those, those five-yard um, short crosses. And so the quarterback is looking back and doesn't really see anything open because nothing's open downfield. He could check down to his running back or he could um, try and make it onto one of those uh, crossing patterns. And whenever they did, they were either just tackled right away, um, you know, or the uh, pass was incomplete. And so if you look at his stats, let me pull them up real quick. He had 48 completions, but only 300 yards, 308 yards. And two interceptions. So, and he was also sacked five times. That's not. It's just not going to get the job done. I mean, you throw the ball sixty-two times, and you only get three hundred eight yards. That's incredibly inefficient, and that just shows that there was nothing. Nothing deep was open, and just those short passes were the only thing that um, really worked for him. And I think the key here was Borgie. He only got uh, fifty yards rushing. Um, they only gave him the ball 10 times and he averaged five yards a carry with a touchdown. So, um, you probably should have ran the ball more. And if your rival knows exactly how to defend your system, you should probably throw in something completely different. Like imagine if they had run the ball 40 times and only passed the ball 20, just something completely different out of the blue that you would never expect. Washington probably would not have been able to defend that as well as they did. And that's basically it. On Washington's side, um, I saw Jacob Eason with a really nice throw. It was a back shoulder, sort of like a fade route towards the end zone where he dropped it right in there, um, right to his wide receiver. It looks like that was his only touchdown on the day, 15 of 22 uh, with 244 yards. So I don't know if this changes the perspective of Eason. Probably it does not. But um, you didn't lose the Apple Cup. You beat your rival. And in all likelihood, you're off to the NFL. So I uh, know it wasn't the best season and probably wasn't what um, Washington was expecting, but you beat your rival. You're going to a bowl game. You have, what, a top 15 recruiting class at least. So um, things aren't that bad over there. I think they need to um, kind of put things into perspective about where their program actually is. Cruising down the street to the Civil War, beavers to duh, and ducks some more. I don't know why every time I do this podcast I like that song, but I'm rolling with it. I like it, man. So cruising down the street, baby. We're heading to the Civil War, and um, this is going to be, I'm going to focus on Oregon State because I believe the program's come a long way, but we'll start off with Oregon. Um, for Oregon, I just don't understand how they didn't win this game by more. They were facing a backup quarterback um, for Oregon State. His name was Tristan Jebbia. I believe it was his first start of the year. Um, maybe even ever. Actually, it was his first start ever at Oregon State. And Oregon still couldn't blow them out of the water. Granted, it's a rivalry uh, game, so nothing is going to come easy. But from a pure athletic standpoint, Oregon's the better team. Um, they were facing Oregon State with a backup quarterback. 
and they were at home. And yet, this game came down to the final possession. And if Oregon State running back Jamar Jefferson doesn't try and hurdle a guy and fumble the ball, thinking he's some NFL prospect out here, um, Oregon State very well had a chance to win this game. Um, and yeah, for the Ducks, this is a team that, this is kind of how it's been all year. It's like, yes, they're they're great. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from their star team, but maybe they just weren't quite as good as we all thought they were. And I'm not sure what it is. Um, if I had to take a guess, my feeling is they lack that dirty dog killer instinct. That whatever Utah has, Oregon doesn't have it. And that's not saying anything about what's going to happen next week. But Oregon just, I mean, if you look at their stats, CJ the th- their three halfbacks, CJ Verdell ran for 15, 15 carries for 50 yards. Um, I believe Travis Dye, 12 carries, 91 yards. Great day for him. Um, Cyrus Bibilikio didn't do much. He had a nice touchdown at the end. So that kind of boosted his stats. But he only finished 29 yards, pretty much all in that final day. Quarterback Justin Herbert, 174 yards, one touchdown, which you would expect better than him. It's not like Oregon State's defense is on that level. So for Oregon heading into the Pac-12 championship next week, they need to find that dog. Because Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley and them boys over at Utah, they have that dog in them. And if Oregon's not ready for it, they're going to get blown out of the water. And maybe this is what got exposed in the ASU game by, um, yeah, well, by ASU. <laughs> Good one, Nick. Yeah, I mean, this is just, for Oregon, it just doesn't seem like they play their best football. And they, I believe they could do more. But at this point, the season's pretty much over. So if they find a way to beat Utah and get to the Rose Bowl, they still have a chance to accomplish some really cool things. But they need to play their best football now. Um, head coach Mario Cristobal has an opportunity to put some things in play here. They know what they're getting in the Utes, and if they are to advance past this game, uh, yeah, they have some pretty cool things ahead of them. But Oregon still needs to play their best football, and I'll leave it at that. For Oregon State, it all comes down to that 4th and 4 call against Washington State. I mean, that call cost them a bowl game. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the week before, the Cougs played the Beavers, and um, the head coach, Jonathan Smith, of the Beavs could have basically punted it and had the Cougs go to the length of the field. He didn't get it, which ultimately led to the Cougars getting um, the Cougars scoring the game-winning touchdown, and that now is what eliminated them from bowl contention. And it, it's just an even more perplexing call because now that we know that Jake Luton's form was injured in that game, why were you throwing it? Like, why? You could have trusted your defense. Granted, they'd given up 50 points, but for anyone to go basically 90 yards or 80 yards in a minute and a half is very difficult and a lot to expect. With that being said, um, I do not want to take away anything from this Beavers program. If you put it into perspective, and I believe I heard an announcer say this on TV, but same thought for me. If you put it into perspective, this team was a basement dweller laughingstock, and they are no longer that. This team was one play, one drive away from qualifying for a bowl game, being bowl eligible. And to see how far the Beavers have come is truly phenomenal. It's sad that six-year senior quarterback Jake Luton had to sit out um, this game. He's put up a marvelous year, probably one of those kind of unknown guys throughout the country, but seriously, he, he's a name to remember. And maybe an outside shot at making the NFL. Um, I believe my dad's home, and I heard the trash go, so this segment might get interrupted, but we'll finish it up. So for Oregon State, again, tough, tough way to not make a bowl game with that call last week and obviously not being able to take out Oregon at home. But they did improve so much as a program, and that's something to be proud of. Seriously, the Oregon State Beavers have come a long way. Props to head coach Jonathan Smith. He's done a great job, minus that one call. And it'll be exciting to see what they what they have in the future. And for Oregon, time to play your best football game. The games get real now. You got the Pac-12 championship. You have a chance at the Rose Bowl. Figure it out. Let's go. It's time to make some moves. So this Oregon game, um, really it was disappointing that Jake Lutton wasn't able to play. And if you look at the the score, 24-10, you think that if Jake Lutton was able to play, that they may have won this game. And I think that is pretty much a possibility. I don't think that's um, a crazy statement to make, that if Jake Lutton had played, Oregon State you know, might have won this game. Um, Justin Herbert only had 174 yards. Uh, that's questionable. And, yeah, I mean, there's not much you can say about this game without your starting quarterback who's played at an NFL level 
all season, um, you're not going to beat Oregon. Um, it's just as simple as that. I mean, you outgain them in total yards. Uh, it's just, it's tough because I was really expecting this game to be close. And when I turned it on and I saw Gabia, Gabia in, I was like, oh no, what happened? I guess maybe they were thinking, uh, let's plan for the future and get him some experience. But that, I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. And then I turned up the volume and they were talking about Lutton getting like a, an arm or shoulder or wrist injury or something and he wasn't able to go and so you don't make a bowl game and I mean you did have a good season you uh, exceeded expectations by far um, your recruiting is on the right uh, foot going strong in that aspect um, you're seeing improvement uh, for year to year and um, even though you didn't have your starting quarterback you were still not getting blown out. I mean, that's, I think, something to be proud of. Your defense only gave up 24 points. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 24 to 10 is a two-touchdown game. Uh, yeah, there's not much more you can say about Oregon State's here other than they're on the rise and they're going to be um, a good team moving forward. They're going to have to figure out who their quarterback is for next year. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they do. And for Oregon... You got the Pac-12 championship game, and if you win that, uh, you're going to the Rose Bowl. So I know it's not the college football playoff, but um, Rose Bowl is a very historic accomplishment, uh, especially for um, the legacy, you know, of Justin Herbert. Um, this would be really important for him um, because if you don't win that game and you don't make I guess you could technically probably will still make the Rose Bowl depending on how the college football playoff um shakes down but you don't want to put that in somebody else's hands you want to win that game go to the Rose Bowl and win the Rose Bowl uh so it's just uh it's, their season turns you know so far south after that game at ASU that's it's hard to stay motivated um, when you're expecting all year to have a chance to make it to the playoff and then drop a game like that. It's hard to recover from, and especially so close to the end of the year. It's uh, just one of those situations that's um, tough to deal with, not only for the players and the coaches, but you know for the fan base, everybody associated with that program. But um, I guess you could go and and uh, ruin Utah's season, which has got to be some motivation for you, and um, guarantee that you'll get into the Rose Bowl, which is major motivation. So I'm expecting them to have a good performance um, in the championship game, and it should be a great game that we've all been looking forward to and expecting. Uh, but Justin Herbert's going to need to play better than this performance. I uh, don't know what really happened here, but um, 174 yards is not uh, not really going to get the job done. It does look like they ran the ball a lot, probably because they were in the lead and they just wanted to ensure, you know, that they were able to uh, win the game without any interceptions or things like that. Nick has mentioned that um, Oregon should run the ball more than they do, so maybe they listened to our podcast and took his advice. <laughs> I got another random tea brewing this week. I believe we had some chamomile ginger last week. I think we got echinacea. Dude, I know what it's called. I don't know why I'm acting surprised. It's called echinacea tea. That's what I'm rolling with. I was ready to drink it before this segment, but it's not quite ready. We need to let it simmer for two minutes. All right, back to the game. So the next, uh, or the games. The games, ladies and gentlemen. Not the game. But so the next uh, matchup we're going to talk about is Stanford versus Notre Dame. And uh, for Stanford, they, they played really hard. I mean, they really did. They, they fought around for a while, but ultimately Notre Dame was the better team. Um, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame was the better team, but Stanford hung around. Um, we're not going to spend too much time on this game. This game, if I say game one more time, man, but this matchup was kind of what we all expected. But again, Stanford did hang around, and that deserves credit in their self. And themselves, Davis Mills, their junior quarterback, 276 yards through the air, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. 
Cameron Scarlett, their halfback, 13 carries, 43 yards, and he got a gimme touchdown at the end, kind of a nice way to end his senior year. Uh, again, didn't didn't affect the outcome. Uh, the main thing I did want to touch on for um, Stanford is two things. So heading into their offseason, they're going to need to find a defensive identity. Um, yes, they were injured on the offensive line. But that has nothing to do with their defense, so I'm not sure what that means, but uh, head coach David Shaw has some work to do in terms of recruiting some new defensive players or developing some talent within. Stanford is notoriously known for having a great defense, so they need to get back to it. That's ultimately what's going to kind of get their program back on the level, back on that elite level, because they have fallen off the past couple seasons. Um, and I believe they need to get back to running the ball. I read a interesting uh, article on one of our partner sites about how Stanford's new offensive coordinator tends to throw the ball a lot more, and I'm not sure why. They need to get back to the Jim Harbaugh way of running the ball, yeah, of running the ball pretty much, yeah, I'm not going to, that's what they need to do. They need to run the ball more. So defense and run the ball, Stanford needs to get back to their identity. And two things on the offense end, uh, which will help um, kind of draw some defenders deeper, um, will create some space for the rushing attack. Davis Mills will be returning, and he's played some solid games this year. So it'll be fun to see how he can um, develop in his senior year. And they have a sophomore wideout named Michael Wilson. In this matchup, he 10 catches for 96 yards and a touchdown, or Tutty, as they say in Madden, or in the South, or I don't know who says that, but I said it. And uh, he had 672 yards receiving and five touchdowns on the year. So for Stanford, real briefly, um, kind of recap, David Shaw needs to get back to their defensive identity and to complement that with a rushing attack, if that means fire their offensive coordinator, that means fire their offensive coordinator. But they need to get back to who they are and not try and become someone else. And uh, for the future, you should have a nice, uh, Stanford fans should have a nice combination in quarterback Davis Mills and sophomore wide receiver Michael Wilson. All right, I'm about to check out this tea. Let's see if I like go to another planet or what's in this tea, because I haven't drank this in about a year. Should be fun. Deuces! Okay, Stanford lost by 21 to Notre Dame. This game was close in the first half, and actually Stanford was winning for, I think, most of the first half. And um, next thing you know, they're punting the ball from their own about 10 or 15-yard line. I think they were up at that point by uh, a few scores. Not um, They might have been up by just one touchdown, but it might have been like nine points or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. But they were winning, and they had a punt blocked. And it was returned, I think, into the end zone. If not, it was at the one-yard line, and Notre Dame punched it in um, right after that. And that really turned the momentum, and they never recovered um, from that play. So, um, yeah, Davis Mills um, played, I guess, pretty well. I mean, 28 for 46, 276 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's pretty good. The The reason I think, at least from the box score here, that jumps out at you is their rushing, Stanford's rushing. Um, Scarlett only had 43 yards. He was only given the ball 13 times, um, but they only had 118 rushing yards. And when you think of Stanford, you don't think of like throwing the ball a whole bunch. Um, I know that... Most of that was probably because they were playing from behind and they had to do that. But um, it's really a, just a weird year for Stanford. I mean, just uh, I don't think anybody was expecting this. Um, nobody at the beginning of the year would probably have you know picked Stanford to miss a bowl game. I don't think anybody was expecting this. And I know they have a bunch of injuries and things like that. But um, this is not really a, a good thing for the conference. And if this is the direction that this program is trending, they need to figure out what they need to do to improve that, um, especially when you take into consideration Cal is on the rise and Oregon State is on the rise up there in the north. And you're starting to get towards the bottom of that division, and that's a problem. But um, you still got Davis Mills who is a pretty good quarterback. Uh, I like the way he throws the ball. I think he's uh, able to make all the right passes, tall, um, slightly mobile, at least uh, enough um, in certain situations. So we'll see how they do next year. Um, really, they need to work on their strength and conditioning because this 
this is way too many injuries and you need to address why that happens and fix it. I've got the power. Dun, 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 dun. You guys just love my beats, don't you? That's, that's, is that really why you tune in? I should have known. I should have known. Seriously, whatever they just put in that T just had a little zing to my step. I'm ready. I'm ready to discuss the Pac-12's last hope. Sorry, Colorado Buffs. We are not talking about you. We are talking about the Utah Utes. But we will briefly, briefly touch on their game. Pretty quickly, uh, the Buffs jumped out to 7-0 lead. And the Utes took control in the second quarter. And from there on out, Utah dominated the rest of the game. Uh, basically, what sparked their rally, their initial rally, was a great play where Utes quarterback Tyler Huntley kind of ducked out of a sack and then made a nice throw on the run down the field to Brant, to their tight end, Brant Keithy. Keithy's a pretty good player. Um, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. And so uh, Tyler Huntley had a so Huntley type game. Like, so Huntley, man. Like, come on. Uh, 165 yards, two touchdowns, Zach Moss, uh, 20 carries, 88 yards, one touchdown, uh, tight end Brant Keithy, as previously mentioned, 63 yards receiving, two touchdowns through the air, the deep ball and another one in the red zone, and he also got a couple fly sweeps or end arounds, whatever you want to call them, and he was able to score, so he, he had a late touchdown too, we're not going to talk about that. For Colorado, again, they kind of got outmatched from the beginning. Just throw some quick stats out there. We're going to give you a little love buffs. Know your season's over. Actually, um, you know, before we get into the Colorado stats, they played very solid the last two weeks. And to get back to five and six um, after being three and six and winning two in a row, this was just cool to see under uh, their first-year head coach in Mel Tucker. And the buffs have some good years coming. Their defense has really improved this year. And they might have community college players, <laughs> seriously, in their secondary. So, And they still found a way to stop people. I mean, they beat UW last week. So the buffs have really they've really improved this year. And it's cool to see. So for this game, sorry, Colorado, you're not our Pac-12 championship hope. So we can't, can't be spending too much love on you. But we do respect the rally you made to fight for a bowl game. And to really just you know put your program on the right footing, right direction, headed forward. So in this game, Steven Montez, 157 quarterback Steven Montez, 157 yards, two touchdowns. That's how his senior uh, year will end, his college career will end. Running backs Alex Fontenot, 13 carries, 149, 13 carries for 49 yards. Um, I mean, he played Utah's defense. What do you expect? The most impressive stat is wideout Lavisca Schnault Jr. Four catches for 43 yards. So great job by Utah holding him in check. He's a very very, very dangerous receiver. Arguably the best in the conference. It's either him or Michael Pittman Jr. Depending on what type of player. Who's hitting me? Who's beeping me on Twitter? Is that you, Dane? You hollering? Oh, that was a Facebook messenger. Now, now I really don't know. I'm, I'm kind of rattled. Not really, but... All right. You know me. Back to the point here. So, Colorado, a great job of fighting to even get in this position. And it'll be fun to see how they um, kind of improve next year. Uh, for LaVisca Schnault Jr., they're wide out. He'll be fun to watch in the NFL. He's a surefire pick. And he's one of those kids that really deserves some respect because, I mean, he really was injured most of this year. And he refused to sit out. He could have, you know, just he was on a struggling team. He was hurt. He could have said, you know, I'm going to get my money. I'm going to the NFL. And I wouldn't have blamed him for it. But he kind of, he stood by his teammates. He played, did the best he could. So it's hard to not cheer for a kid like that. LaVisca Schnault Jr., a name to remember, and a Pac-12 player soon to be in the NFL. And so for Utah, basically, I love the way they play football, their rushing attack, their smart throws, and we'll get to their chances against Oregon. I mean, that could be another podcast in itself. I got a game preview coming up at the Pac-12 Championship. Hint, hint, why don't I plug myself there, baby? Got you, Sports Pac-12, plugging myself. No, but seriously, I'll, I will dive more in depth about the Utah uh, Oregon matchup later this week in an article on Sports Pack 12. Uh, but I would like to say really quickly that Tyler Huntley may be the most NFL-ready quarterback in the Pac-12. That surprises a lot of people because they think of Justin Herbert, you know, the big body, the great arm. Tyler Huntley is a game manager, and I don't mean that in any form of an insult. He just makes the right plays. He gets the balls to his halfback when he needs. He trusts his defense, and he just makes all the right plays, kind of like a good NFL quarterback does. And I believe whoever gets Tyler Huntley, if he can stay healthy at the next level, 
add on a little bit more muscle, maybe a little more arm strength. He could be the real deal. Um, I'm not sure how highly drafted he'll go or what round because he does lack some physical attributes, which I don't really see, but this may be kind of how NFL scouts are viewing him. But Tyler Huntley should get a chance in the NFL, and I just want to put my uh, kind of two cents out there and respect him. He's been a lot of fun to watch. He always makes the right play, man. So for the Utes, they handled their business. They go into the championship game. They won the South. Do your thing. And yeah, do your thing. You're the Pac-12's last hope. And if a Clemson loses or if Georgia loses, they could sneak in there and get us in the college football playoff. Good job, Utes. And let's do it. Utes, Utes, you. All right, all right, all right. Utah and Colorado. This was by far the most important game for the conference this week. It was also on national TV, on ABC, um, after a lot of the major games on the East Coast, especially in the SEC, occurred. So a lot of people around the country probably watched Utah for the first time all year. And if you only watched the first half, you did not come away convinced at all that Utah was a playoff team. Um, they started really slow. I think it was 14 to 7 at halftime or something like that. And um, you really, um, they were struggling. Um, it looks like it was 17 to 7 at halftime. But yeah, they were struggling um, to handle Colorado. Uh, they weren't really uh, moving the ball very effectively. Uh, and Colorado was hanging tight on defense. They had a couple good plays and um, some weird fumbles that were happening, like on a a punt right at the beginning. Um, Colorado muffed a punt. Um, and Utah was playing a bit conservative, um, which they tend to do in first halves, especially like at the end of the half when um, they were down in the red zone. Their clock management is just poor. It's not good at the end of halves. And I noticed that when they played here in Tucson, they do not, Kyle Whittingham does not um, clock manage well at the end of halves when he's in the red zone. I don't know what the deal is, but they let way too much time go by. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, in the second half, they opened it up, scored 28 points, ended up winning the game uh, 45-15, to and that score line is exactly what they needed. Uh, looks like, um, you know, to the East Coast people, a dominant um, game and performance, and it was. And so if you look at these other schools that they're vying with, um, they are par for the course. They did exactly what these other schools did. Big wins, a lot of points, and a strong defensive performance. And, I mean, Colorado is no real pushover. They have five wins this year. So, and they ju- they're coming off a, a win over Washington, you know, and they've also beaten Nebraska. So it's not like this was a cupcake that they played, though it wasn't necessarily a strong team. It was um, not a cupcake, and it was, uh, you know, at least an average team that has decent, noteworthy wins. So this was a good performance. It's great for the conference. And as I've said uh, last week and in previous podcasts, um, Utah is going to need to win uh, over Oregon by more than um, two touchdowns uh, to definitely secure their place. Uh, in the the playoffs and I was thinking um, they might need to win by 17 or more but uh, it might they might just need to win by about 14 or more 17 would definitely get it done a 10 point game is going to be questionable anything below 10 points it's probably not going to get you in uh, just because the image of the Pac-12 and the bias um, towards East Coast teams um, the committee is looking for reasons to put Oklahoma in. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. They're also scheming up all the ways that they can put in two SEC teams. Um, they're just like sitting around in that circle talking about how we could do it. Um, and they're like reluctant to put Utah in. So Clemson is going to get in. Ohio State's going to get in. LSU is going to get in. It's coming down to Georgia, Oklahoma, and Utah. Um, I guess in the one team that other might, you know, be in the discussion is Baylor, I guess, but not really. Um, so it's it's Oklahoma and Utah. It's coming down to that uh, with Georgia, obviously. So um, Utah is going to need to have a really strong performance in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, they can't really struggle. 
though if they struggle, if it's a tight game until about the third quarter and they pull away, um, that might get it done. But they're going to need a good margin of victory here, and that's going to be important. They do not have a top 25 win. They don't really have a signature victory. Their best win is uh, against Washington on the road. So if you compare blind resume, um, they don't really match up that well. But if you watch them and you know on TV, they pass the eye test. That's what the committee is looking for. But uh, you're going to have to have a, a solid, comfortable victory over Oregon in the championship game here to make the playoff. As always, um, you're going to have to definitely take into Dane's perspective on the Arizona-Arizona State matchup. This is his business, his land, his land. <laughs> this is where he lives, man. But yeah, so um, I got a couple of brief thoughts. So pretty much quick game recap. You got kind of a slow first half, 7-6. to six. Um, Arizona State tacked on a field goal at the end of the first half by Zendayhouse. Hey, my cousin's last name is also Zendayhouse. True story, true story. And he may be related to this to the long line of Zendayas kickers. I just really want to throw that out there. So shouts to my cousin. And my cousin did go to ASU also. He's from he's from the greater Seattle area, but he went to ASU. So for the Zendaya houses of the world, keep kicking, baby. Keep kicking. You're doing my cousin proud. And my uncle proud. So yeah, that was just a beautiful tangent. I love it. So in the second half, ASU broke the game open. And they broke it open, and they won. Do you, I mean, do you really want me to say more? And kind of making the Zendayas connection here. Basically, ASU made their field goals. Um, U of A didn't. Um, I don't remember the exact statistics. Sorry, are just field goal kickers. But ASU was either two or two or three for three, and ASU was o, or or U of A was O of two or O for three. And in a 24-14 game, that ultimately is the difference. Um, ASU really leaned on their halfback, Noah Benjamin. Believed he rushed the ball over 30 times for like 168 yards. Again, the exact statistic may be a little off, but he was basically the driving force, had two touchdowns on the game. And um, that is essentially, hold on, stay with me here. I'm checking up Noah Benjamin's stats. Cruising down the street. No, I'm not. Sorry, I'm trusting myself here. Uh, I'm trusting myself. I take that, I apologize. I really don't apologize. But so, basically, ASU won their game, and Kept the momentum going from their big win over Oregon last week. So now they're 7-5. and Finished out their season strong. And uh, it's been an interesting year for ASU. Hot start, kind of cruddy in the middle, and finished strong. So uh, good all-around performance in Herm Edwards' second year. And their program should definitely be in the right direction under freshman. Or he will be a sophomore next year. But this year, true freshman quarterback Jaden Daniels. He's won some big games, and it'll be really fun to see his career development. He could really end up being a Heisman-type player by the time he's a senior. For um, And uh, a no Benjamin, great career. He's done. So for U of A, um, I'm going to briefly touch on this. Basically, I think this is the game where all the shuffling at quarterback by head coach Kevin Sumlin between Grant Gannell and Cleo Tate, I think it reared its ugly head in this game. Um, Cleo Tate made two just absolutely abominable throws. Just so freaking terrible. No, no excuse. I mean, you're a senior, man. But I think there are larger factors to play. Like, his confidence may have been shaken because he really didn't know if he's going to be taken out. I mean, even when you get the nod, um, the starting nod, as he, as someone basically gave it to him earlier in the week, um, when you've been taken out all year, it does play into the back of your mind. I mean, subconsciously, there's no way it can't. So I think that shuffling of quarterbacks really kind of hurt the Wildcats, um, and it hurt them in their rivalry game, which was basically their season. Um, they basically had the worst record in the Pac-12 after jumping out to an early lead in the South this year. So big downfall for them. In this game, uh, J.J. Taylor did not perform. He was halfback, their running back, halfback running back. You, you know what I'm talking about. J.J. Taylor was held in check, and uh, ultimately uh, ASU ended up winning the game. So again, we'll let Dane kind of dive into the deep the deep details of these two teams. You got a little more expertise on these AZ sunny weather schools. Don't be some sun, Dane. Come on now. See, look, the Tucson weather forecast is still on my laptop, man. 71 and partly cloudy on Monday. Man, y'all just living the good life. Anyway, 
ASU um, again now is an opportunity to win a bowl game. It'll be it'll be interesting to see where they're placed. And for U of A, um, Kevin Sumlin has to get something figured out because their program is falling. And I would argue that their program is actually taking the biggest step back from where they were at the beginning of the season to where they are now. It's quite a dramatic fall. So tough, tough season for them. Last place in the South. And U of A will look for better in the future. And for ASU, that win against Oregon, they've now beaten their um, rival Arizona Territorial Cup. They've done some good things, and it'll be fun to see how they kind of wind out the rest of this year in the bowl game and if they can improve and how much they can improve under their under um, Herm Edwards in his third year next year. So, well, that's it. Rivalry game. This game makes sense. The next game makes no sense. You'll understand where I'm going with this in a second. Yeah, so Arizona ends the season on a seven-game losing streak, uh, loses the Territorial Cup for the third year in a row and um has a losing back-to-back losing season for the first time since 2004 and 2005 so if you go back 15 years this is the worst the program has been you know in that and since 15 years ago so that'll let everybody know where the wildcats are at um, and if you look at the last few seasons, 2016, the Cats were 3-9, and nine. 2017, 7-6, okay, 2018, 5-7, 2019, 4-8. So that means over the last four seasons, the Wildcats have a losing record in three of them. And this is really the lowest point the program's been at, you know, in almost 20 years, so... It's really um, concerning the direction of the program. Athletic Director Dave Hickey has announced that Kevin Sumlin will be returning for next year. Um, I guess a lot of the assistance contracts are running out in February or January. So if he wanted to make moves, it would be fairly um, straightforward. You wouldn't have to pay any buyouts. And so can tell you right now from living here in Tucson, the fan base is pretty much clamoring for Noel Mazzoni to be you know, out of there. The offensive system he runs, while it works against lower-tier programs and is able to move the ball pretty effectively against bad defenses, against medium-average defenses to elite-level defenses, it's extremely ineffective. And to, in the last three games, uh, Utah... Oregon, and now ASU, I think the Cats have scored, yeah, 27 total points in three games, which is just not acceptable. And you have Khalil Tate on your roster, who's one of the most dynamic rushing quarterbacks in the entire country. And instead of modifying your system to fit his skill set, you try and put him into a system that is not conducive to his skills. It's like putting... um, a square peg and a round hole. It's just not going to work. And it's really, it's frustrating because Khalil Tate had such a great 2017 and then Kevin Sumlin's first year in 2018, it just hasn't panned out the last two years. And it's just, it's it's interesting when you have a quarterback that's so dynamic like that, that you're so, I guess, stubborn and unwilling to change that you just, you won't modify your system to fit his skill set. And that's one thing that Rich Rodriguez did his first year, especially um, with Matt Scott behind the helm. Uh, the Wildcats threw the ball a lot more than they did the, the next few years um, because uh, Rich Rod realized that Matt Scott could throw the ball pretty effectively. And um, so it'd be pointless to try and have him be a running quarterback and throw the ball nine times a game. Um, when he could throw the ball about 30 times a game and win games. And so uh, Noel Mazzoni was not willing to do that. And as a result, um, Khalil Tate's career was basically ruined. And, you know, there was just not uh, not a good result here in Tucson, back-to-back losing seasons. In this game, Territorial Cup, uh, Cats played really well in the first half um, defensively, holding ASU to two field goals. Um, But again, 
The Cats were driving up 7-3 with about three minutes left in ASU territory. Khalil Tate throws an interception. And then um, there were two other interceptions that he threw in that game. And so the Cats ended with three interceptions and two missed field goals. So if you're not hitting your field goals and you're turning the ball over, you're not going to win games. And so the only real bright spot was Jamari Joyner, who had, I think, 140 um, yards receiving or something like that and two touchdowns. He's a local kid from Tucson. He's going to be a great wide receiver for the Cats moving forward. Um, next season, Grant Gannell is going to be the um, clear starter. So um, there's some pieces you could build around on offense. And um, I think there's one lineman who is going to be graduating. So you'll have most of your line back, um, which is also good. But yeah, just the personnel decisions don't make sense to me. I don't know if it's Noah Mazzoni who's deciding that. But um, like one of the interceptions was a pass to a running back out of the backfield. And um, it was either Dar- I think it was Darius Smith who uh, dropped the pass. And I just don't understand why he's in the game in situations like that where he's like your smallest running back. And I mean, sure, he has some speed. He can do outside um, runs. But, you know, J- why isn't J.J. Taylor in in that situation? And why is Gary Brightwell only getting like four or five carries in that game? It just it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it, nor does it make any sense to not only our local media here, but the fan base in general. A lot of people are just they're concerned with the direction of the program. They're not expecting things to get better. And it's just overall a pretty terrible situation here in Tucson, ending the year on a seven-game losing streak, losing to your rival for a third year in a row, and another year with no bowl. Why was this game played, dude? Like, I don't understand why Cal vs. UCLA is played. Went over this in the introduction, but your rivalry games are already played. UCLA already lost to the Trojans last week. Cal already beat Stanford in a last-second drive. And yet you make the kids take the field again. What is the frickin' point? Okay. I've got it covered. But, like, seriously. That's even in my notes. Like, seriously. Yeah. So I guess I will cover it because... The contest or matchup was played for some reason. But anyway, okay, seriously. So UCLA took the early lead. Um, Cal responded on a, like a, it's like a 40, I don't know how long it was. It was a long screen touchdown pass in the first quarter with three minutes to go. And uh, they basically took control of the game uh, on a quarterback sneak the beginning of the second quarter to take a 14-7 to lead. From there on out, they kind of paced the lead, kind of cruised to victory. They didn't have like a massive lead, but just... Steady, steady hand did enough, and um, punched in a game kind of stealing touchdown. Um, it's either I don't remember as well as the third or the fourth quarter. It was a run by the halfback Christopher Brown Jr. and um, yeah, it sealed the game basically. So basically, quick notes: this game didn't mean too much for either team, to be quite frank. UCLA was already eliminated from bowl contention, and um, Cal already. Um, was already bull eligible, but basically Chase Garbers, uh, the Golden Bears quarterback, makes all the difference when he's out there. This is a very, very good team, a team that ranked, uh, climbed 15th in the country earlier this year. Without him, they're one of the worst teams in the conference, so that shows his worth. Um, Christopher Brown Jr., um, their halfback, had 18, uh, touch, uh, 18 runs, 111 yards, and two touchdowns. He's a sophomore. Chase Garbers is also a sophomore, so... Getting these two back um, next year should be very, very fun to watch. They already have an elite defense, um, so with this combination at quarterback and halfback, they'll be dangerous. And head coach Justin Wilcox, all he has to do now is find a true threat at wide receiver. And the Golden Bears have an actual chance of winning the North next year. They have some bright, bright times ahead. And they won this game, that's all you can ask. I mean, this was such a weird game, but they did win it. Yeah. For UCLA, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, kind of another... Weird game, um, two hundred seventy-eight yards, one touchdown, one pick. Not necessarily, not necessarily good or necessarily bad. Um, their senior running back Joshua Kelly, nineteen carries, seventy-six yards, and one touchdown. 
probably not the way he wanted to end his career because he did have some bigger games earlier this year. But uh, the Golden Bears defense, again, is pretty uh, solid. So he wasn't able to break the big one or put up the big stats. Um, for UCLA, just what a weird year. I mean, we could talk about them going forward, but who really knows? I mean, there's some rumors about Chip Kelly. I'd imagine he's going to stay. But, again, if you just look back at this year, this team lost to San Diego State at the beginning of the year. It was arguably the worst team in the Pac-12. They crept all the way back into a game versus Utah, which actually if they won, they would have taken the lead in the, in the Pac-12 South. And uh, they, they ended up losing that game by seven, 722 points. The Utes handled their business and rolled them out of the freaking arena. But, yeah, so then UCLA decided to lose everything down the stretch. Um, they couldn't beat um, their rival, uh, USC, and they end their year with a loss to Cal. So what a weird up-and-down year. This isn't something you can, like, really analyze. But just to summarize again, great start. Or, excuse me, terrible start, great middle, and terrible finish and generally in life and in sports uh, you want consistency so for UCLA that's something they're really going to need to look to develop for them their year's done and uh, they're LA school so there should be some viable recruiting options in the offseason we'll have to see what that means exactly but let's see if Chip Kelly can get some players more kind of attuned to his system in his third year and uh, for Cal, they got a bowl game coming up. And I think that Cal could be that team next year in the North. Again, um, they have Chase Garbers as their sophomore quarterback, and he's a stud. He's the leader of that team. Christopher Brown Jr. is a tough tackle, great halfback, and he'll be back. And the defense is generally pretty it's pretty solid under Justin Wilcox. So Cal's got a very, very bright future ahead of them. All right, so yeah, final game, California versus UCLA. Really um, happy for the Cal program um, since Garbers came back. Uh, they've been playing, you know, they're getting wins again. And it really makes you wonder where they would have been had he not gotten injured in that Arizona State game. I think it was in September. It might have been at the beginning of October. And I, I think it was September, though. Um, but, yeah, it's just tough when you have your quarterback who runs that system well and really your leader go down. Uh, it's just tough to to recover from, but now that he's back and um, you know they're back uh, playing well, um, they're going to a bowl game. So I think they have seven wins. Yeah, they have seven wins now, and so depending on how things shake out, a seven win season usually gets you somewhere around the Las Vegas Bowl, the Foster Farms Bowl, or whatever it's called now in San Francisco. Uh, and yeah, those are really your main options. I don't think they're going to get an invite to the Holiday Bowl and certainly not um, the Alamo Bowl. The Sun Bowl, I guess, is a an opportunity for them. Um, it really depends on how everything shakes out. I'm not exactly sure the order of how those um, bowls get to choose, but there's definitely a pecking order, and they can really invite whoever they want. And generally, they try and invite the, the teams that will draw the most eyes and bring the most fans so if I had to guess right now, Cal's, you know, is probably looking at either the Las Vegas Bowl or, um, you know, maybe the Sun Bowl. I don't think the San Francisco Bowl is going to want to invite a local team uh, just because it's not really the purpose of a bowl game. Um, you want to bring in fans from out of state and out of town um, to contribute to your local economy. So it would kind of be pointless to invite a local team, I think, uh so yeah, you're, I think you know you might be looking at the Las Vegas Bowl, but I guess it depends on how everything shakes out. Um, the Wazoo might go to the Las Vegas Bowl, so the Sun Bowl is might be by default where you end up. But um, yeah, for UCLA, I mean there were some rumors. I think it was either right before or right after the game that um, Chip Kelly and UCLA were trying to negotiate a mutual parting of ways, but I don't think that ended up coming to fruition and somebody uh i don't know if it was in the athletic department or somebody made a statement out there that corrected that and um so looking like chip kelly will be back for next season dtr is going to be a junior so really just got to focus on recruiting your recruiting classes improved over the last few weeks and you got to finish it out strong early signing day is here on december 15th so you got to make sure all your commits sign and maybe um, flip one or two and See where it goes. Really, all you can do is recruit better. And for Cal, I'm looking forward to whatever bowl game they get in. I think um, if you remember last year, the Cheez-It Bowl was like one of the best, uh, most entertaining games to watch. It was so bad that it was just you couldn't take your eyes away. And so I'm hoping something like that 
happens again. I don't want to. I don't want to say I want another seven interception game, but um, I do. So <laughs> if they make it to the El Paso Bowl, uh, let's see a, a crazy uh, matchup just like the Cheez It Bowl. But um, yeah, we'll see how it all shakes out on, on the bowl selection. And uh, I'm glad for the Cal fan base. It's two bowls in a row, and really your program is on the up and up and continuing to improve uh, year to year. All right, to wind out the week here, I'm still, I still got some legs on me. I'm going to go to sleep after this. That is for darn sure. I mean, I'm actually not, but like within you know two or three hours, I'm, I might do my thing, lay down, hit those sheets. You, didn't you guys tune in to hear my bedtime routine? That's what, come on. Come on, guys. All right, so wind out the week of Pac-12 action. We have basically the most notable game again outside the conference, the Iron Bowl. As I said at the top here, that loss really gives Utah a real outside shot. Um, now Alabama's not going to sneak in with two losses um, just to make the Pac-12 mad. I mean, I honestly believe that if Utah played Alabama, Alabama would win 55-0. to uh, You may disagree, but I firmly stand behind that opinion. Utah is nowhere near on the level of Alabama. But with that being said, Utah, you just line up who you play. Utah's won every single game this year with the exception of that debacle against USC. And the Utes, really, they have a chance to represent the Pac-12. And for the conference, I believe this is the best thing as a whole. And definitely, it'll be fun to see going forward. Um, I mean, if they can beat Oregon handily, they I believe they do deserve a shot. Uh, personal, personal belief. Um, again, do I think they're better than Georgia? No. Do I think they're better than Clemson? No. So they will need some help. But if they can beat Oregon and beat them handily, they've made a pretty solid statement for themselves one way or another. Um, again, looking around the conference now, UW, um, kind of as Dane mentioned earlier, putting the program into perspective, um, UW didn't have the year they wanted, but they won their bowl. Um, they're going to bowl game. They beat their rival, and uh, if they can win their if they can win their bowl game, the program's still headed in the right direction. You know, everyone can have a down year here or there. It's when it turns into two or three down years where things really change. So nothing too big to worry about there. For Oregon, still looking for them to put it all together. Um, they did beat their rival, but they're going to need to play better to beat Utah. They have the talent. They're probably the more talented team, but again, they need to put it all together. Um, I'm not going to let Oregon slide by with what I believe um, them playing kind of their not their best football. For Utah, way to dominate Colorado, take care of business, win the South, and now you're just looking for some outside help. And you got to take care of Oregon and your business in the Pac-12 championship. You're the last hope, baby. You're the last hope. Um, Arizona State took care of Arizona. Again, um, Arizona State now. Way to finish the season strong. Big win over Oregon. Big win over Arizona. And they should be able to handle their business in a bowl game. They're not a team I would want to see come bowl season. They've regained their footing. And I'm not talking about Cal versus UCLA. Other than the fact that Cal is going to be good next year. This game shouldn't have been played. You heard me say it again. You heard me say it once, you heard me say it twice, you heard me say it three times, trice, uno, trice, cuatro, cinco, seis, ocho. That's what I got for y'all. Okay, Utah, go handle your biz. Make the Pac-12 proud. Let's get a team in the college football playoff. Dane, take us out. I'm out of here. We recovering. We healing. One day at a time. I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm just talking. Maybe I kind of know what's going on. Dane, adios, amigos. Thanks for listening. Pac-12, sports Pac-12. Broadcast, episode 7. Adios, deuces, pieces. Yeah, so I'll keep my closing statement short and sweet. Um, Utah needs to win comfortably uh, against Oregon in the championship game and make the college football playoff. I think right now, if you ask me, they have a greater than 50% chance of getting in. A lot of that depends on Georgia losing. Um, And you're going to need, like I said, a comfortable margin of victory. For the other teams in the conference, uh, season's over. Uh, bowl games are coming up, so it'll be interesting to see uh, where each team goes and how that shakes out. Who their opponent's going to be, uh, and you know, just the overall um, matchup, the quality, the expectation um, to be able to win those games. It's important for the conference to win their bowl games, and we'll be breaking down each of the bowl games in the next um, few episodes. We're going to do it individually, so that'll be nice. And then the other teams that didn't make a bowl. 
And I think all the teams in general will probably do a podcast, um, you know, in the off season, probably around spring ball, uh, focusing on each team and how they did with the more in-depth season review and season preview uh, for 2020. So, um, yeah, in the end, uh, I guess it's not exactly the year you wanted for the conference, but that's just that one game that Oregon lost um, to ASU. Uh, if you don't count that, it was pretty much exactly what uh, the conference ne- uh, needed. There's, they were at least two teams vying for the playoff, and now there's just the one. And the t- one team that you have is high quality and um, has a good chance of making the playoffs. So that's really all you can ask for. And it'll be interesting to see this um, championship game. I think it's what everybody was looking forward to and hoping for. The exact circumstances are not what we all wanted, though it's still going to be a great game. And it's really, uh, for me at least, the season flew by pretty fast. I feel like it was just beginning. And it's unfortunate that it's it's ending because, you know, how it is waiting for football season to start again. It's like nine months, like one of the longest off seasons, right, in all of sports. And so it's just tough. I mean, spring ball starts um, in about March or so. So um, if your team didn't make a bowl game, you're already looking towards 2020. If your team did make a bowl game, um, there's a lot ahead of you still. You get to go and experience that wherever you get to whatever city it is. And so we'll be... Um, We'll be previewing all those and looking forward to them. And, of course, we'll all be watching to see the Pac-12 do well. And But next up is this uh, championship game. And I hope it's a good one. I think it should be. But uh, I'm really looking forward to it.